I want to read from the scripture as we begin, and we'll pray that the Lord will help us. I know that there are many needs in the church, and we do we do seek the Lord for all the needs. There's been some sickness going around, and, and so I'm, I'm glad that people are recovering. Uh, also, we're in a season of vacations, and so um, I hope everyone got back okay from their last trip, and uh, I trust that you did. Why don't we just stand for a moment, <clears throat> and we'll pray, and we'll ask God for his help in our lives before we read the scripture. If you know of a need, then just lift that up to the Lord, and we'll pray that the Lord will give us um, a blessing and a healing for the people that are sick or that need help. Would you do that with me right now? Father, we're thankful for your blessing in our life. I know there are people that need your help tonight in various ways, so I'm asking the Lord for your healing power to rest upon everyone that is sick in their body. I pray for your deliverance for everyone who feels that they are caught in some dilemma. I ask you, Lord, for help. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us. I pray for the body, for the church. I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, give us a love and desire to seek your face like we've never sought before. I pray tonight, Jesus, that you would guide us with your strong hand. Give us insight into your word and to your spirit, I pray. Let this place become a haven, Lord, for people that are struggling and need your help. I thank you, Lord, for your guidance. I thank you, Lord, for your blood, for your spirit, for the Holy Ghost. Let there be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this house, Lord, upon all of us. Let our families feel that in Jesus' name. And I stand against all the wiles of the devil. I stand against every demonic spirit that would rise against us, Lord. And I take dominion over the prince of the power of the air, Lord. You have all the power, Lord. And I, I invoke your name in Jesus' name. Let it be so. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And all the people said amen. Amen. You may be seated. I thank you for standing. Before I begin, let me just ask all of you to go to the website today or tomorrow and sign up for at least 30 minutes of prayer Friday night between 7 p.m. on Friday evening and 7 p.m. on Saturday. If everyone would do that, we can easily cover our 24 hours of prayer. the, The time will pass very quickly. Uh, My son Nico and I were talking about prayer today, and he said to me um, about praying and what to say after a while he would run out of words. And I said to him, let's get you a journal, and so he has something to write on, and I said, write down everyone's name that you know, and pray for each of those people, and by the time you get done, uh, done praying, even if it's just 20 seconds or 30 seconds, for each of your friends and people you know, you can get through your 10 minutes of prayer every day. And so that's what we're working on. We're praying for people, um, and that helps. That helps. So if you run out of words to say, write down all the people that you like and pray for them. And then write down all the people that are on the other side and, and then... And then, and then um, Pray for them or something. Here's the scripture, Proverbs 29 and 18. It's It's a familiar scripture. It's often misused 
So we're trying to put it in the right context and in the right um, intent of the writer. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, I have dug into this as, as much as I can. I've heard so many different variations. I do think that, that we have um, a little bit of a struggle in some of our uh, interpretations. For instance, there's a Greek word. We know the word, English word is for, F-O-R, for. There are six different Greek uh, derivatives of that word for. So when you get to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the Bible says, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So let's do it again. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for, everyone say for, there are six different derivatives of that word. And the most likely derivative is the word obtain, or to obtain. So when those when people say, well, you don't have to be baptized to be forgiven. All you have to do is believe on the Lord. The problem with that is you have to look at the word for, and it means to obtain. So you're baptized for the remission of sins or to obtain the remission of sins. There are five other derivatives of that word. And so you have to rightly divide the word of truth and know what the Bible is saying. This Bible was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And during the Hellenistic times, the prevailing language during the days of Jesus was Greek. So we, we look at the New Testament mostly from the Greek derivatives, and not modern Greek, but maybe even more ancient times, or at least what was spoken uh, 2,000 years ago. Now, language changes. Do you know that language changes, right? And words change. Fire uh, to me is represents <clears throat> a fire <laughs> flame. But when my kids say <clears throat> that they love that hat, it, that's fire. I don't know what in the world they're talking about. <clears throat> Reagan says, that is so lit. What does that mean, lit? Did you start a fire? Words have taken on new meanings. When William Shakespeare was writing and reading, he used around 45,000 to 60,000 words. Today, the average American uses 8,000 words. <clears throat> so, this comes into play when I read old books, and I've, I've got some real old books. Some of them are several centuries old, and the verbiage and the English, the king's English is difficult to read because we don't use those words. So when you get to the word vision, you have to have a, an understanding of vision. And so this comes from a word we know as a causon, a sight, mentality, dream, revelation, oracle, so I'll just kind of walk through it with you. It, there's, a, there's the Hebrew thought of a prophetic vision. 
And it is in conjunction with Daniel chapter 4. So let me just try to help us with, with the word. From the scripture, there are at least three different understandings of this word vision. Without a vision, the people perish. The first vision means a prophetic utterance. So without a prophetic utterance, this is in attendance to a revelation. If the people have no revelation or a prophetic word and utterance, you die. Um, secondly, uh, it might be up on the screen. Did you have that, sister? Okay. And secondly, it indicates a verbal declaration. So a vision it's not just a prophetic utterance, but it's also a verbal declaration, something to declare. A prophet or a prophetic word is both foretelling and forthtelling. So in prophecy, if you hear a word of prophecy, it doesn't always mean what's about to come. It could mean what is present. So prophecy doesn't always mean forecasting what's going to happen. Also, prophecy is, all, is not always for your benefit. You know, I mean, it, it, I don't know, Ed McMahon may not show up at your house. Not all prophecy is really for your benefit. It could be for your warning. And if you look, I'm reading right now in the book, of, I'm reading Amos in my Bible reading right now. Oh, it's rough. There's a lot of bad stuff. God's going to burn up everything, destroying things because they weren't faithful. And that prophecy is not pleasant. But prophecy can also be forthtelling. A prophetic word is what is happening right now. That is hidden by most everyone but known. <clears throat> I, I, I recalled this story before when one of our elders was walking through a crowd and a man, uh, uh, he, he greeted him and, uh, and this was a, this was a man who was very prophetic, uh, and he, uh, he was used in, in many, many different gifts. And one gentleman patted him on the back as he was going through the crowd, and Billy Cole turned to this man and said, you're in adultery, you're having an affair. And the man fell to the ground and, of course, began to cry because he was revealed. It was a prophetic word at the moment. I would say to you once again, people are enamored with prophets. Chances are you don't want to be around a prophet. You want to be around a pastor. Prophets are prickly. They're odd. They're strange. Pastors are warm. So any of you people who think you're going to go check out a prophet, be very careful. First, get your house in order. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> All right, let's move on because I feel like you, you want me to. It's a, it's a verbal declaration. A vision without a verbal declaration, which means a word given, a statement, some, something that would direct people. We die. You cannot live without... The preached word. Don't think that you are sufficient without the preached word. Thirdly, the most common 
thought of this, not the least of which, is that the vision means a sight for the future. Yes, it does mean that. And as I've described, there are derivatives of these words, of this word. If we took in whole, it culminates in the knowledge of the law of the Lord and where the law leads. So, sight for the future. So we have, we have the prophetic utterance. We have, we have a verbal declaration. And yes, we have a sight for the future. If we don't have the vision, we die. And this is the word of the Lord. And it, and it all brings, it all comes together through the knowledge of the law of the Lord. Through the knowledge of the law of the Lord. And we find that in the word. So the second portion, so if you read Proverbs 29, 18, and you do A and B, A would be the first sentence and B would be the second. 29, 18A is supported by 29, 18B. B would be, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Which means that the vision is in conjunction with the law of the Lord. All right. So we'll, we're working on it. So the second portion of the scripture cannot be ignored. He that keepeth the law. The vision, the prophetic, the revelatory word. It leads us in a path of holiness and righteousness. <clears throat> How are we doing? Everybody okay? Still got it? The verse that I quoted you here is not linear which means that it is not a simplistic idea. It's not just a vision casting verse where a leader says, I got a, I got a vision for a, a new family life center. I got a vision f- to build a, a pavilion. Yes, that, that's part of it, but that's not, whole, that's not the whole part. This is a layered word. It is a vision of holy declaration And it entails the law of the Lord and where that law leads us. Without that, we die. The vision of the church, of this church, is to reach the city with the gospel. That's the vision. It's to reach the city with the doctrine of Jesus Christ. So it is forecasting, but it's given through the set parameters that the Lord and the Bible has already set forth. It's not just gathering a bunch of people because we know how to gather a bunch of people. We know how to do that. Churches have been doing that for a long time. It's just getting a crowd. It's not just getting a crowd. It's reaching people with the law of the Lord. The vision is to reach the city with the only saving gospel of Jesus Christ. All right. So I'll give you the three prong parts of our vision so that you know it and we need to all know it and be able to recite it at any given time. This simple, but we'll break it down. Here's our vision for our church. Love God, love people, and serve. Love God, love people, serve. All three parts are interwoven. They cannot be compartmentalized. Do not think that these things can be taken one without the other or that they are sufficient alone. They are not. In reference to Proverbs 29, 18, which I quoted to you, we love God when we reject evil. So when you love God, there's something you must do to prove its worth. You live holy and godly and you obey the commandments. You abide by the established word. 
This is not a subjective concept. It's not subjective. This is the vision that is of the Lord. It's through God. It's according to his word. If not, then we are built by ingenuity or talent, maybe charisma, all of which are powerful things, I suppose. There are many long-lasting religious institutions. They're built on charisma. They're built on talent. But they are always insufficient when they are without the vision from God. Let me just say it this way. I don't know. A bland presentation, which is an alliance to the Scripture or with the Scripture, if it's bland, if it's vanilla, it's always better than an exciting presentation rooted in personality. People are enamored with personality. We like that. Um, unfortunately, the Pentecostal movement has become intoxicated with the personality and less reliant on the principles of the scripture. So it would be better for you to hear the word of the Lord true than to hear the personality. We don't really want that. Um, and we don't, we, we would rather have a, an exciting moment, but I would just submit to you that even if the personality didn't come through, it is more important that the word of the Lord is established and we know what the word says. Now that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. Trust me, it's hard because it would get real boring real quick. So if by chance we have someone that would preach the word with excitement, and it is the word of God. Praise the Lord. And just so happens that, that I have that in me. But it, I didn't start that. It was my mother. She gave that to me. Because we would, we would get the, the. This was way back when, when Disney was Disney. And it was Walt Disney. And she got the LPs. And we listened to, to, to the Disney songs on, on the record player. There used to be a thing called a record player. And. We'd have this, and it turn around, you, you know. And if it was a scratch, you know, it, it would keep going, and we would listen to Tigger, you know, the song about Tigger. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Am I out there? The most wonderful thing about Tigger is I'm the only one. Bouncy, 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 fun, 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 fun. And my mother would bounce me around. This is what she did to me, and she instituted this personality thing. So that's, this is what happened. But that is not what should keep you. Because if you are enamored with the personality, you'll also fail with the personality. You have to be indebted and rooted and grounded in the word. The law of the Lord. But he that keepeth the law of the Lord, happy is he. Amen. <clears throat> now within this vision, every vision that's from God comes this wonderful word called order. Everyone say order. Let me just help you with the aspects of order. The first aspect of order is structure. Everyone say structure. Structure. Every, every institution that has order has a structure. Our God is a God of order. Even the Bible says, let all things be done decently and in order. If the vision does not include order, we're in trouble. There is order to this thing. There is order. There can be things done decently and in order, uh, and it could still look like 
it's a little out there, but it is orderly to dance before the Lord and to shout. But not all the time. People could get carried away. Sometimes it's time to hear the word and it's time to stop shouting. Sometimes it's, it's time to start shouting. Sometimes it's, start, it's good to dance, to run, to clap. There's a time for order. I, I want to say this in this, con- in this evening, this context, that, that from time to time, people are praying in the altar. I shouldn't even say that. Every time people are praying in the altar. Uh, every Sunday, people are praying. And it's so wonderful. And, and sometimes um, <clears throat> those prayers could last a little longer than, than normal. But you'll hear me say, thank you, thank you. I'll let you find your way. And that basically is, is a way for me to say, okay, it's time to stop and we're going to move on. That doesn't mean that I'm trying to be offensive. It means that I'm trying to help you get to the next step in our process. And we will pause. If someone is receiving the Holy Ghost, we'll pause and wait the whole service. Because the Lord is pouring out something. You understand? But there are times when people are praying, and I know that they're in prayer. It's good. But we must move forward because I feel like we should. There are times when we were having wonderful shouts and praising God, and I felt like it's time for me to preach the word. Now, I don't know how everyone felt about that because no one told me that they wished that they would have had more opportunity to, to praise and shout and clap. And thank you for, tell, for not telling me that, that you wished that I would not have preached. <clears throat> but I went ahead and preached because I felt that that was in order. There were times we worshiped the Lord for an hour and I didn't feel like we should preach. There should be no preaching because the Lord did what he needed to do. That was being done decently and in order. There is a structure to your body. It is a very, I shouldn't say odd, but probably reflective of the structure of the world. Your, your makeup is mostly of water. You're probably about 75% water. So is the earth. So is the circumference and the, and, and the platitude of the earth. Your body is in order. You cannot rise in temperatures in 10 degrees either direction or you die. Your body uh, has chemical releases from your brain. Your, your body is in order. When it gets out of order, you're sick. And when you mistreat your body and you get your body out of order, you can become sick and that's self-inflicted sickness. When, when families are out of order, there's chaos, there's tension. When your finance is out of order, there's debt. If there's going to be a church with the proper vision, there has to be order. And order is structure, and structure is the bones, it is the stability of the body. Secondly, the aspect of order is execution. Execution is the action born from a predetermined directive execution so order also means that there are things being done we decided to do them and we did them and when there's not order then there's no declaration there's no predetermined directive and nothing ever gets done we don't know how far we've come this is true not in the church, not only in the church, but in every business. Every institution that has credibility has order, the structure, it has execution. And finally, there is continuity. So I offer these three things to you. Structure, execution, continuity. Within the vision of new life, your church, there is structure, 
There is an, there are, there are elders and there are mothers of the church. There are teachers, there are ministers, there are ministries. There is execution. That is a directive, something we've set uh, in order. We've set before us and we've executed that action. And then there's continuity. It is the repeatable process which provides security through predictable behavior. Now, these are my working definitions. I didn't read them in a book. In fact, everything I'm giving you, I, I feel like the Lord's given to me. And so, continuity. We have to have continuity. Now, the Jews knew this concept of continuity. And so, a better word than tradition would be customs, although we could use the word tradition. The Jews kept the law, kept their heritage through the continuity of their traditions or their customs. They knew family structure. They knew the times of the year from the festivals that they kept, not only in the big three festivals, which were the Passover, Pentecost, and Sukkot, but also Purim, which came later, that recognized Esther's uh, devotion. And also of the Sabbath, which the Jews would say that not only did they keep the Sabbath, but the Sabbath kept them. This continuity has given them strength for thousands of years and kept them when times were rough and they did not have the written word, they had the oral law, not the written law. One of the things that have helped save America through a lot of trouble is that we've had Continuity. When we lose those customs, or they change, or they're diminished or removed, that means we lose our history. So, in the aspects of order, there's something about doing something again. It's important. Wednesday night is a Bible study, or it's a life group. These are important things for us. Sunday, it is a custom to come to church on Sunday. These customary things are important for us. They give us they give us the, the process of where the vision can expand. It is important for you to bring your family to church on Sunday. It's important for you to come to a Wednesday night Bible study. I'll, I'll get to this later in my lesson, but some people believe that they need to go to things that will benefit them. But within the church, not everything that's done should be a direct benefit to you. It is a benefit to you, but, but, but it's okay if, it's, if you are the benefit to it or to someone else. The vision that is from God always contains order. He does not give vision that is out of order or out of sync with his kingdom. Never. So I, as I teach tonight, I present the vision of the church. This is what I'm teaching tonight. Love God, love people, serve. Always love God, love people, serve. If you ever want to know what is the vision of the church, it's to love God, love people, serve. Because we do not have, how, 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 how can I be a part? Know the vision. We don't have membership cards or public membership statements. There are many churches that still have that. Uh, there's only a couple of ways that we know that we're connected to the church. The first way I know that someone is connected is that they come, they attend. Isn't that nice?
The second way we know is that people give financially. Um, and that's actually scriptural. Can you believe it? And then thirdly, they serve. They're, they're inactive somewhere. And finally, of course, they, they believe in the doctrine that's preached. So if you desire to be a part of the body here, then it's imperative that you understand what the vision is and be active in the vision to love God, to love people, and to serve. These are intertwined. In fact, they're intertwined so completely that if you separate one from the other, they all fall down. They exist in conjunction with one another. Loving God, loving people, serving, they're all intertwined. They cannot exist without one another. This was actually the leadership message of Jesus Christ for his church. It's not something that we created from our own mind. It wasn't a group think meeting. I would submit that probably every church has something very similar to it because the principles of these aspects are found in the scripture and they're instituted by the Lord. I'm going to add some corresponding scriptures to each in a moment, but I'd like to just pull back the curtain on the absence of uh, of one of these, uh, uh, of some of these parts. And, and that is that without this vision, this very multi-layered vision, the church or the local assembly will always dry up. And the reason for that is because the prophetic word or the revelatory word is not permitted. It, when, there's, when the word is preached, it always invades our thinking. If you go to a church and every sermon you hear is wonderful and it never offers any conviction, you're probably in the wrong church. Uh, the vision that comes from God is, according, is, is in accordance with his law, his word. So as I'm teaching tonight, I would just say that I'm concerned that we never lose the vision. We could die and not know that we're dead. Many churches have done that. They're existing, but they're dead. And this is a, a, this is a complexity I, I don't want to unpack here. Um, but I'm just trying to make sure that we're on track with what needs to be done here at New Life. Let's talk about loving God. As odd as it seems, sometimes people just like people. They really do not love God. They only love Him in expression. Loving God is a task that requires obeying God. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. So that there are people who attend church, they don't really love God. They'll tell you they love God, but they like the expression of it because they do not keep his commandments. You must have knowledge of God to love God and to obey God. But if you do not, then you are an expressive person with no evidence. And this is where so many people are today. They like the idea of the church community. They like the idea of the corporate setting, but they really do not love God because they do not obey God. You love God to the extent that you obey God. Now, it's culturally cachet to say, I'm a Christian. But to follow Christ is not so easy. 
It invades your life. And I preached years ago the truth about the truth. Let me just give you the synopsis. The Bible says, you shall know the truth and the truth will... Be careful. The truth will not set you free. Truth never sets you free. That's not the Bible. Truth is not a get out of jail card. The Bible says the truth will make you free. It molds you. It grinds you. The truth designs you. Go tell the judge. I just want to let you know the truth. I stole all these items. And the judge is not going to say, oh, thank you for telling me. Go on your way now. No, no, no. No. Now there's a penalty. Now you give it back. Now you go to jail. Right? Truth makes you free. And we've got this idea that the truth will just, we'll know it and just sets us free like we're birds. No. The truth makes you, it molds you, it confines you, it conforms you. And when you have knowledge of God and you love God, then you follow God. But if you don't follow him and you don't obey him, then whatever you say about you love him, these are, these are expressions. This is an emotional thing. The Lord, his word, his statutes, his commandments. They are critical to loving God. What is important is that you follow the law of the Lord. You can say you love someone, but if you don't, if you don't care about them, if you don't see after them, if you don't concern yourself with them, then these are just words coming out of our mouth. And we're very, we're very flagrant with this word love. Um, there are folks who, who like the emotional support. They like the corporate feeling. I caution us tonight. Jesus is not a figure. He's real. He is the Lord. He is God. He is both lion and the lamb. He's the judge. He's the high priest. And so, to love God... We have to follow him. Here's your scripture. 1 John. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. This is how we know. Mark chapter 12. And when the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he answered them well, he asked him, Lord, which is the first commandment? What's the first one? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandments greater than these. The scribe said to him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart. And with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. I love this last verse. It's rarely read. And when Jesus saw that he answered him discreetly, he said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're so close to the kingdom of God because you've got this understanding. To love the Lord with all your heart strength and to love your brother. In another gospel, Jesus said, upon this hinges or rest all the law and the prophets. I would submit to you, you cannot love the king and reject his kingdom. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. You have to love God with all your heart, your soul, your body, your strength. It's got to consume you. If you put in the same context that you love sherbet ice cream and you love God, 
<laughs> then you're probably got some words out of order. You love God, you like the sherbet. <laughs> you love God, you like your car. You're devoted to God with all of your heart, mind, power, strength, soul, energy, everything. You love God. The vision of the church is for us to love God. And if we get that in order, something changes in our life because it is a reset of our priorities. And in conjunction with that is loving people. 1 John 4, if a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. You do not love God if you don't love your brother. And your brother is everybody. I, I, I would just say this to us as a church. The us for and no more is a scourge on the modern day church. I'm asking this body, let us not become an us for and no more. It's not just about you and your close family, your knit friends. It's about everyone in this house. Let me tell you how the early church began. And this is one of the power of the early church. Acts 2.44. Now Acts 2 and 1, they just finished what could be said a seven-day prayer meeting in an upper room. They were there about seven days. Let's, let's try this one more time. They, the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea. Fifty days later, they get to Mount Sinai. The Red Sea came right, over the, right after the Passover. That, that was basically in the same day. They're, they're right there in the same time period. You've got the Passover and you've got Pentecost or you've got Sinai. Both attend to the law. The law was given at Sinai 50 days after the Passover. Jesus dies on the Passover. Pentecost happens. Pente is 50, 50 days later is Pentecost. Now a new law is written on our heart. Jeremiah wrote, God spoke through Jeremiah, a new heart. I'm going to take out the stony heart and put a new heart and I will write my law on the tables of your heart. So you've got Pentecost and it's 50 days. Jesus was with them after the resurrection for 40 days. He was in the tomb for three days. He was with them for 40 days. Right? Acts 1. The former trees have I made off the office of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the apostles had shown himself alive but many infallible proofs being seen to them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Did I do that right? Maybe. 40 days. Three days in the tomb, 40 days with the disciples. That leaves seven days left. They were, they were watching Jesus ascend. The bottom of his feet going up into heaven. Two men stood by in white apparel and said to the, the, the disciples, those people, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you in heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then they went to Jerusalem, which was the Sabbath day's journey. They walked to Jerusalem. They're in an upper room. They pray for seven days. The Holy Ghost comes down. That's Acts 2.1. It's poured out. It spills out into the streets. They're all there. People are asking how can these people speak in our tongue where we were born? 
Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia, Pontus, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Asia, the parts of Cyrene. And Peter stands up to preach. He preaches. When he gets done, there is 3,000 souls added to the church in one day. Now, we get to the end of Acts 2 and it kind of culminates as to how the early church operated. They were in the temple and house to house. Here's verse 44. It's critical for us. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, why would they do that? Because in that era, Rome was in control. And Jerusalem had an agreement, the Jews had an agreement with Rome that they would be subservient to Rome. This is how Rome, Rome would do. Rome would conquer a land, let you keep your gods, they would build roads, commerce. You could keep your gods. You could have an order to your life, a governor, if you wish. And then you would pay taxes back to Rome. That way Rome could be large. All roads lead to Rome. And Rome would build aqueducts for water systems and transits. It was amazing. And so the economics of Jerusalem was that Rome was in control and the Jews had their part with their publicans, tax collectors, and Pharisees. When the early church was birthed, not only was it a deviation from Rome, but it broke off away from what they would call the rabbinical order. So now they're on their own. They're poor. They have no buildings. In fact, the early church probably didn't even have a building for 300 years, two to 300 years. And so what did they have? Nothing. They had nothing. So what they did was, they watched out for one another, they cared for one another, they sold items and distributed. We find this out in Acts 5, when they're in a building program in Acts 5, and they all sold items, and Ananias and Sapphira decided they would sell some property and give the money to the church. They brought the offering to Peter, you remember, he brought the offering to Peter. Ananias comes in by himself, Peter said, is this what you committed to the building fund or whatever? Ananias says, yes. Peter said, you're lying. You're lying to the Holy Ghost. You held back part of the money. Now you're going to die. Falls over in the church. He dies. Have a revival. Ananias is late. He, he, he's there. His wife, Sapphira. She's late for church, obviously. She doesn't come with her husband to church because she's changing her outfit. All she had to do was show up at the same time, find out what her husband said. She could have lived, but instead she went ahead with the lie. She died too. That's Acts 5. They sold things and had all things come because they were caring for one another. This is a deviation from where we are today. The us for and for and no more is not caring for one another. Love God, love people. You cannot love God without loving your brother. Now, we may not have to sell all of our items right now, but there may come a day when we have to. Don't think, we're, we're kind of insulated a little bit because we have this American mentality that no bad can happen to us. Let me just tell you, as the world, as the dispensation closes, you do not know what is going to happen. We can become a banana republic overnight. We're, we're nearing $30 trillion in debt. Our GDP will not rise through the interest payments on that. Sorry, I won't get down in the economics here, but. I could. I just want you to know 
that this baby nation we live in, 242 years old, is that it? 241, 242? We're blessed. But that does not mean that we'll always be the same way. What we ought to practice here now is caring for one another. Look around at the church. How can we reach out beyond our, beyond our church building if we're not loving one another within the church building? If you don't know someone, go to them and welcome them. And if they say, hey, I've been here for 20 years, tell them, I'm so glad. <laughs> if you're new, act like you've been around forever. I would just say, it might be time for you to invite someone to dinner that you have not been to dinner with yet. Bring them into your home. And I said, well, you, well Pastor, my, my house is not, not, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. We've got to stop thinking that way because we have to love one another. And if we love people, the Lord will add to our church other people. This is, a, this is the vision of the church, to love people. And if you say, I love God, but you don't love people, then you don't love God. You don't love God. What you are is a religious aristocrat. What you are is a, is a modern-day Christian that has no substance. You have similitude, but no substance. Amen. Well, okay, let's move on. Number three is serve. Everyone say serve. Watch Mark 10. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentile exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. This is the way of the heathen, basically. And the Lord said, but, it, but so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto He's talking about himself, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. When you find out how far a deity to dust is, then you let me know how much serving you need to engage in. This is one of my favorite scriptures in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. I'd like to rest on it for a little while. Look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others. In the NIV, the scripture before that says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Look not every man. I would say one of the flaws, or at least maybe it's an affliction of us, I'm not sure, But we can become consumed with ourselves. It's easy to do. The opposite of serving is selfishness. It's self-sufficiency. Perhaps pride. Certainly a lack of humility. So the question we must ask has to entail, do we love God? Do we love him with all of our heart? Do we love people? Do we serve? I can tell you right now that loving people is not always easy. If, if I can be a realist here, I'm going to tell you it's not always pleasant loving some people. 
I'll just be alone here right now. Matthew 5, 46. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Don't the publicans love the people that love them? If you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans. If you love people that love you, let me just put it this way. If you're kind to people who are kind to you, what sets you apart from the world? I like people who like me. I really do. I have to say, people who like me and love me, I, I, I love them. I really love them. People who give me a compliment, it's so, I like to give them a compliment. But the people who do not like me, this is what the scripture is for. This is the problem. This is the real problem. Because we love people who embrace us and welcome us. But we're not so excited about loving people who do not feel the same about us. So I say to you, loving some people is not always an easy task. And I'm not talking about your spouse. That's over, man. You're, you're done. Now, I don't want to rest in the shallowness of this because there's a shallow part of this loving people thing that, that's a problem. Because you can say you love people, but there's another part of that. It, it gets deeper as you say, I care. And the next step down deeper is, I'm engaged with you. And the next step down after that is, let's take some time together. And, the, and as you start getting down in the deeper waters, what can I help you with physically? When you back all the way up, you, you can say, love you, good to see you, love you, love y'all. These are salutes. These are, these are salutes. But the next step is, I care about you. And the next step is, time with you. And the next step down, as you kind of make your way down into the real waters where people live, it's, how can I help you? And loving people means you serve them. You serve. And when we get down into those deeper waters, it will last longer and be better than every program the church has ever put on. There's no better program that ever, that ever surpasses true Loving people down in those deep waters where you care about them. These are your brothers and your sisters. You cannot say you love the world, but you don't care for your brother or your sister in the church. And this has become a very challenging thing. Where do we serve? With the advancements of specialized departments and abilities and, and the church if we're not careful, the church could look more like a place of employment. We never wanted that here at New Life. We never wanted that. I'm the only full-time person on staff here. If you get rid of me, you got some more money. <laughs> we didn't hire people when we started because we didn't have any money. Tammy and I just, I painted the building. We painted the inside, the outside. Tammy cleaned all the, we did it. 
we asked people if they wanted to help us. We did it together. That's how we got to this place. That's why three weeks ago we were able to burn the third mortgage of this, of this building. Because we believed in volunteer servanthood. The lack of resources actually opened the door to ministry opportunities. And everyone in this house should be involved in ministry opportunities. If you have a gift, give it to the service of the church. If you're a professional and you got extra time, lend your profession for the benefit of the body. Serve as often as willing as you are able to serve. Now, I grew up in a very different environment than my kids now today. Mom and dad passed a little church and we didn't have any money. It was a farming community. And we had a lot of bake sales at the, in the foyer of Walmart. We had a lot of bake sales and, and pies and cakes and cream puffs. And, and, you know, Scott and I, Dana, we loved to go with mom because that's where we could watch cartoons. We didn't have a television, but we had Walmart Saturday morning cartoons. Three, four hours sitting in front of the televisions back in the, in the, in the TV department till dad found us and told us to get out front. <laughs> Scott figured out how to jimmy the, the, the this, this asteroids game, a Pac-Man game, whatever, and he could kick it a certain way. We'd get like 30 or 40 free games and we would just play that and we were very bad. Scott mostly was a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> Peanut brittle. We sold peanut brittle for the church. I don't know if anybody remembers. We, we peanut brittle. And, and I remember dad bringing in like 100 pound, 50 pound bags of peanuts and in the church. And we'd have these, these pans and they'd, they'd, they'd wipe the butter. And you have the butter and it was like, a, it was like an assembly line of peanut butter and, and peanut brittle. And, you, and, and they'd boil it and, 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 and it was so hot and we'd make the peanut brittle. And I don't know how much we got, maybe a dollar, 50 cents a bag. My mother had the ladies' auxiliary. They bought a piano with the peanut brittle money. This is, this is what we did. It's what we had to do. And we didn't have the resources to hire everybody for all the things. The men of the church, the ladies of the church. I want you to know this is how we have to operate here. We don't want to professionalize anything here. We want everyone to be involved. There are ways to serve. And... There are easy ways to serve here. It's critical that we learn the servanthood. And if we don't, if, if we do not learn servanthood, and we don't teach that to our children and grandchildren, then we lose the idea of what the vision entails to serve. And so I, I don't, I don't want to be redundant. I just want to make sure this, this is always cast out in front of us. Loving God, loving people, and serving, all of these things are important and they're critical and they don't rest, they don't stand without each of them. You cannot love God without serving. You don't love God because if you do, this is, this is lip service. This is what Jesus said. He said, Isaiah was right about you. You, you serve me with, with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And when we come in with declarations and hands lifted and we're praising God, I wonder how far that goes when there's nothing in our hands that we're serving the Lord with. We have a hands lifted up because that's the sign of surrender and worship, but we've not filled our hands with any servanthood. Amen. So this is the vision. 
And if we're not careful, we, we'll think that ministry is a job. It's not a job. And it's not a job that someone who's good at it needs to do. Instead, we should be thinking that this is all of our responsibility to serve each other. And that the qualifications of serving only entail time and a heart of compassion. Loving God means serving one another. It means what you do here. It means what you do with other people. If you, serve, if you say you love God but reject serving people, then you're probably not a part of the Lord's body. Even Peter made the mistake when Jesus was washing. Think of this. The incarnate God is washing the feet of his disciples. The dirty feet of his disciples. And Peter rejects. You'll never wash. And Jesus said, wait, if I don't wash you, you'll have no part with me. If Jesus could take basin and towel and bend down and wash Peter's feet... What are we doing? The master became the servant. And I, I, I don't want to be crass here, but, but whoever it might apply. Who are you that you are unwilling to serve? Serving is not always doing what comes natural. It's not always doing what you like to do. In fact, serving may, may rarely be what you like to do. Serving is not always doing what's convenient for you. Tammy always tells me, we need something done and we're trying to figure out who can do it. And Tammy told me years ago, don't ever ask a man who has a lot of time on his hands to help you. There's a reason why he has a lot of time on his hands. She says, ask the man who's really busy. He'll get it done. The spirit of the servant is critical to the health of the church. It's critical. And within the vision, if we love God, we're loving people, we're serving, this vision holds us together and it propels us. I'm going to talk about directives next week. We're going to talk about some directives. But you'll hear these words over and over again as we move ahead. Our ministry team, and leadership, the serving of people. I believe we can serve people into the body. We can hang door hangers, we can have billboards, we can have canvassing, we can have, we can have services in the park. I don't think any of those things are as great as us serving people in our community and we can serve them into the body. People will be served right into the church. This is a beautiful and powerful thing. I will just tell you, I don't do it right now, but I'm not above it and I will, it doesn't matter to me. But Tame and I will we'll, we'll, we'll go paint. We were, we were doing it just last year. We'll go paint. We'll go clean. It doesn't matter. I don't walk by anything and think that's not my job. This is, what, this is our life. We're, invest, we're vested in this. This is our life. We have a vested interest in you, in, in your families, in the building, the properties, the ministries, everything. This is everything. We don't ever clock out. <laughs> Because this is our life. And I know many of us feel the same way. This is what we are. This is not just what we do. Amen. And serving one another is the way that I, that I show love and I show that I'm concerned. Now, I, I can't do everything and, I, and, and I've gotten in trouble by trying to do everything. But I, I do know 
Uh, and it's happened. If something's happened to me, I don't, I think, uh, age, something happened, age. I have these reading glasses. It's a scourge of my life. I, I was trying to take some medicine yesterday and could not read the directions. It was a blur. And I just, I thought, let me just think about what they would want me to take. I was kind of feeling it emotionally. I feel like two pills every four hours would be great. <laughs> I, did, I didn't do it. And you know, I started out with one of these and figured out I, I couldn't remember also where I put them. This is a problem, so I got on Amazon and bought a dozen of them. I just lay them around different places. <laughs> but I believe that if... If we would all do something, it's critical. Now we have to do something. It would be a shame for us to attend our church and say that we're members of this church and we love God, but we do nothing. The spirit of the servant, I would tell you, is critical to the health of the body. It's critical to the health of the body. If we don't have a spirit of servanthood, then we, are, we have an issue with what we're declaring. Amen. Let me just offer you, and these, these are not exhaustive. Let me offer you four aspects that, that happen in the absence of servanthood. Four. When there's, not, when, when there's no servanthood in the body, it produces a consumer mentality. When you don't have servanthood, you have consumers. They come to get. They come to gain. Years ago, I taught the lesson, the difference between the giver and the purchaser. The giver gives and releases whatever they had in their hand. The purchaser wants to make sure it's used properly and it's used with integrity. And if it's not, then they become bitter. When I give to the Lord, then I, then I give it. It no longer is mine. I have no strings attached to it. Amen. When there's not servanthood, we have consumers that come to church to get what they can get from the church. They're not here to give. They're here to gain and there are many people that come to church to gain. They come to get what they can. And this happens in churches all across America. It has happened here many times. I'm, I'm putting this out so that we would not be consumers. We would be givers. When you come into this house, you come to worship and to help other people. You're the body of Jesus Christ. Many people walk in here and they need help. Number two... The absence of servanthood produces religious hierarchies. I'm good, you're not good. I'm better, you're lower. This happened repeatedly in, in, the, in the New Testament when we viewed the Sanhedrin Council. Jesus pointed out the prayer, the difference between the publican and the Pharisee, where the publicans said, I'm a sinner, and the Pharisee says, I'm glad I'm not like that sinner. These are the difference of the prayers. 
there's no spirit of, of, of serving, then there's hierarchies. You serve me or I'm better, I don't have to do that. When did you get better so that you don't have to wash anyone? No, no encouragement. When did you get so good that you don't have to bend down and help somebody? Somebody tell me, at what level do you, do you come to? What, what plateau do you arrive when you don't have to offer someone encouragement or pray for someone? That's not how we do it around here. We serve one another no matter what it is. This is what new life does. We serve one another no matter who we are. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking this, and I, but I'm telling you, I, I'm, I'm looking at folks that are, that are a little new, maybe two or three years old in the church, and I don't know that you heard me say these things. We serve one another. Amen. The absence of servanthood also produces independence. As my mother taught me, the autonomous man is the most dangerous man in the room. He answers to no one. Autonomy is a dangerous place to be. Independence is fine if you're breaking away from England. It's not good if you're in the church. You are not, you are not independent of one another. We need one another. You need one another. Without servanthood, we become independent, reclusive. We become isolated. And that is not... That is not the, the will of God. It's not the design of the body of Jesus Christ. And finally, we have limited growth because only the strong survive. When there's not servanthood, only the people who are sufficient in themselves and as a walk with God survive. Everyone else dies. Because they can't make it on their own. So we're, we, we have no growth because no one cares. I cannot be a pastor and be aloof. Th that's an oxymoron. An aloof pastor is an oxymoron. A disassociated minister is an oxymoron. It means they don't mix this oil and water. No, the pastor is the under-shepherd. He's engaged. He's engaged. He hugs. He loves. He talks. He hears. He ministers. This is, the, this is what the whole church should be. We can't say we love God and be disassociated with one another. And so... If you have, if there's an absence of servanthood, the church shrinks. There's no growth because we grow in, in several different ways. And you may not think this, but we grow numerically. We grow internally. We also grow in a way that's, that's not always, it, it doesn't compute in the same fashion. But, but by retaining everyone in the house. In retention. So they're here. They're struggling. What are we going to do? We're going to help them so that we don't lose them. Now, you don't compute that. We didn't, we didn't grow by 10 families last year or two years ago, but we kept them. Yes. We could have lost them, but someone loved them and they served them and we didn't lose them. And when you, when you go through a trouble and you have someone that's loving you and helping you, guess what happened? The church grew. How did it grow? It grew in maturity because an immature church doesn't care for one another. In fact, the more immature a church is, the more they think it's someone else's responsibility. It's not even the worship team's responsibility to worship on behalf of the people. They're just leading us in the songs because someone's got to choose the song. 
Someone's got to lead in the song. And we would like to have people who can harmonize on pitch to hold the microphone. That's it. I'm sorry. I don't want to be offensive. We would just like to have people who, who can do more than make a joyful noise, but make a joyful noise in harmony with the right pitch, in the right key. I'm not trying to be offensive. Although I'm sure that it disturbs somebody. It just, but it's not their responsibility. They're, they're just worshiping the Lord and they're worshiping in front of you. But the glory is going to God. It's the immature church that thinks it's not my, that's not my duty. That's not my role. It's always our role. We do, let me just tell you what new life does. We do everything to get the job done. We do everything to help people. Every, nothing is, nothing is beyond us. We'll deliver the cakes, we'll bake, we'll clean, we'll take the trash out. It doesn't matter. We'll lay hands on the sick and we'll pray. We'll do whatever we have to do because that is the spirit of servanthood when we serve one another. So you love God and you show you love God by knowing his word and living a holy life. You don't love God. This is what, this is what the prophet said. And the Lord spoke to his prophet in Hosea. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What kind of knowledge? Math? Geography? No. Knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, the Bible says, the Lord said, and you'll be no priest to me. You love God and you serve God according to his word. Not according to the internet. Not according to culture. Not according to subjectivism. And you love people. You love people because that is the function of the Lord. How did he see you? It's the same way he saw the people. He looked upon them. The Bible said he had compassion on them. He said they were sheep like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. And the way you do that is through serving one another. And if we remove that, that spirit of servanthood, then we want something for ourselves. And then we limit ourselves. I don't want to limit any possible growth in this house. I want us to grow to our maximum capability and then beyond that. I want us to love people into this house, serve them into this house, give people opportunity to this house. Listen, not everyone is at your level. That's okay. We have a shallow end in our pool. Just get into the water. Some people are swimming. They've been swimming for a long time. And some people just got their feet wet. Praise God, you're in the pool. Get in the pool. Get in the water. All right. So this is the vision of our church, of your church. It's the vision from the Lord. And I believe that you'll invest in the thing that you deem valuable. And what you value is where you'll spend your time, your resources, your efforts. And so I pray that we will follow the plan of loving God. And let there be the prophetic word, a revelation. Let the vision entail the preached word of the Lord, a declaration. And let it also tell us where we're going and why. I end here in this thought. Many years ago, when I looked over this property, we were on the north side of the highway. And I said to a couple people, we, we need to buy that property. I, I see 800 people over there. I don't even know why I had that number in my, my, my mind. And of course, at the time, the, the, the church, we were very small and had very few members and, and almost no resources. And I can remember that, that weekend, Tammy had 
Tammy had um, put together a, a, a little fundraiser, and she was selling uh, sandwiches with, with um, uh, beef and, uh, and had cheese on it. I forget how she made them, and she had a bunch of them going out, and people were delivering them. And Brother Heist was so excited about those, and he bragged on her, and I don't know how much money we made, but it was a good day. It was a, it was a great day. And to see the vision unfold, it, it wasn't just a forecasting of a location, but it was through the prophetic word, the law of the Lord, the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And if we can continue on this path, I believe there's hundreds and hundreds of people that need to be saved and want to be saved. They want to be here in this house. In a chaotic world, they need to find the peace and the comfort of the Holy Ghost that only the Lord can bring. And so we have to attend to this thought, loving God, loving people, and serving. That is our vision. Amen. And all the people said amen. Please stand with me now. Praise God. Friday night is prayer. Wherever you're at, at 7 p.m. on Friday to 7 p.m. on Saturday. Sunday, we have Services in the morning and in the evening. Worship in the word. We have a special singer going to come and lead some worship songs. Mark Crowder will be here. And then I'll preach the word. It's going to be a great weekend. And I know the Lord's going to bless us. Amen. I'm going to pray before we leave. And I pray that the Lord will bless all the people. And you remember the word that was spoken tonight. Lord, I thank you for the things that you have put into our hearts and our minds. I thank you for the order that you have given to us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would guide this body of believers, Lord. Let us have a great end-time revival. Let the unity of the body grow. And I pray, Lord, that your word would be premier. Lead us through your spirit. We give you thanks and praise. And all the people said in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Now exercise friendliness, kindness to one another. You are dismissed.